0: Stop talking about revolutions and start talking about ecological shit, right? That's what we got to do. If you're talking about metaphysics or medieval philosophy outside the context of the climate crisis, then you're irrelevant. When we're all done and future civilizations dig us up and try to reconstruct what was going on at this point in time, and they see all the dipshit Marxists and Delusians going on about their, their rhizomatic, jerk-off, revolutionary shit, they're going to be pissed, right? They're going to think, wow, what a, what a way to be on the wrong side of archaeology. When they, when they dig up the tweets that say,
1: ContraPoints is a sock dem. I don't really like these ideas. Um, there you go.
0: You're buried, yeah, when, You're buried with everybody else. Re- when they reboot the fossilized servers and data banks, they're going to be pretty confused about why everybody wasn't talking about the cliff that we're all hurtling towards. But I, I no, no. I really, I just one more thing. I just want to explain it. Like this is in terms of the way we encounter the term performative, right? I've, I've encountered it in this way on, let's say, social media. Is people saying this word performative to mean you know, fake, you're a poser, you're a fake. In that sense, it goes back- That's an old one. Yeah. That's from skate culture. I, I think this meaning definitely goes back to the like 60s counterculture movement. Like it's old fucking hat concept with a new fucking hat term that's all it really is when you call somebody a, a pseudo performative marxist or something like that right I'm implying that they're not really committed to the words that they're saying or just doing it for self image or to boost their likes or whatever if you when you say that you're you're actually just really again citing a very old sort of rule or or a convention about people not being committed to what they're doing right and it's not it's nothing revolutionary you're just using a new word again you you're being the word that you're accusing other people of saying of of doing by using that word, and I, I wanted it, environmentalists are always you know our politicians are performative as fuck in that sense though all the time everything about the environment even ExxonMobil, we're committed to carbon tax and then you know Greenpeace goes over undercover and they say you know carbon tax is never really going to happen that's why we say we're committed to it so that's a per, that's the definition of of how people use performative
1: our our prime minister is literally a high school drama teacher. We do got to say that this is one of those words that was grown in the petri dish of humanities departments, um, and it had a specific meaning, and now it's got out, and it's infected the world, and people use it wrong. I mean, okay, well, let's not say they use it wrong. They use it differently from its original intention, so we're here to uh, clear up that distinction a little bit. So when most people hear the word performative, they think Judith Butler for a good reason. She's the most uh, famous name, I guess, associated with the term. Um, But first, to get our groundings, this is actually, it'll probably be a two-parter, guys. So I'm not sure. I mean, you guys, not not the general guys. Did you just (laughs)
2: determine my gender for me?
1: I did. I did. It's a me. (laughs) I I have boyed you. But we're headed, (laughs) before we go to um, radical non-binary feminist Judith Butler, we got to head back to the old Anglo-Oxbridge dusty elbow patch logicians and philosophers of language with old John Langshaw Austin, (laughs) usually known as J.L. Austin. Langshaw. And He's kind of a he's kind of an anti-analytic, analytic philosopher.
2: Well, but before we get started with this, I just wanted to think, say I think we should probably talk a little bit about like what prefaced Austin's theory, so it makes a little bit more sense. Are people cool? With no.
1: Doing that?
2: Okay, well, just very quickly. Uh, Log-
1: logical positivism is at the very top of the list of things I pretend don't exist. Well, then we can shit on it.
2: That's what we're here to do. But babe. that's
0: that's also part of the good thing about Austin is he's part of the school called the Ordinary Language Language. Linguists, right? So he's anti-logical positivism, right? If if early Wittgenstein and Bertrand Russell represent logical positivism, then J.L. Austin is basically saying, fuck that shit. And what's also interesting about Austin is he's taken up by Derrida right? He's taken up by Derrida. He's taken up by Deleuze. He's taken up by modern, more more recent figures like Judith Butler, right? He is taken up by all of these important leftists from French theory and beyond. And they use his idea of performative, which a term, which he coined the term performative. It didn't exist before he uttered it or wrote it down. I don't know what he did first. And, and they ran with it, right? Uh, uh, Derrida's ideas of citation and iteration, and mm-hmm. Deleuze's idea of the creativity of desire—it's fundamentally creative, just like languages for Austin, that sort of thing. It, so it's—it's it's actually like Austin has a lot to recommend him. I want to say, okay, you go for it, Matt.
2: I, I just want to shit one more moment on the uh, the analytics because I enjoyed doing it. So there was this really funny anecdote uh, given by Derek Parfit about R.M. Hare, who was kind of the analytic philosopher par excellence. Um, And it tells you a lot about the tradition because Parfit came to Hare being like, I'm suffering from all these existential problems. Like, what does it all mean? Uh, And Hare's response to say, it was to say, look, like there's no meaning objectively in the world. Since there's no meaning objectively in the world, you don't have to wonder what the meaning of life and existence is any longer. You know, that's not a question you can reasonably expect to be answered. So just stop worrying about it. And of course, Parfit was like, so you're just telling me i shouldn't worry about the meaning of life and existence because i can't answer what the que- you know what the question is that's just really it's because stupid, you can't it?
1: determine the evaluative uh, truth or falsity of the statement Phew. yeah anyway. is avoided. So,
2: it's like well there's no meaning objectively in existence you
1: know <laughs> what wittgenstein did and what austin did is said no we need to have like a philosophy of language that actually incorporates what most of language is which is not true and false statements so we have true and false statements and those are included in J.L. Austin's theory. But then we have performative utterances, which brings us to the word of the day. And Eric, I wonder if you can kick us off by giving us a cursory. What's a performative utterance as opposed to a truth and false statement, according to Austin? This is so, this is Eric's jam, by the way. He loves this logic shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so before Austin, right, when you're... Judging the truth of a statement, you're looking at the statement as a kind of description of the state of the world, right? So you say, okay, this statement is either true or false. And The idea here is that the the state of the world pre-exists you, right? The object you're referring to pre-exists you, and you can say something about it, whether it's true or false. When we shift to thinking about performative utterances, what we're doing is we're talking about things that change the state of things, right? Things that they actually bring about something new. So for instance, in the marriage ceremony, when you say the words I do, right, that creates a new state of affairs, right? It's not that... You are already married and the I do is just sort of repeating or describing that you actually create a new state of affairs or another performative utterance is, you know, a sentence in a courtroom, right? You are sentenced to 10 years, hard labor, whatever, however they say it, that creates the state of affairs. It's not describing something that pre-exists the statement itself, right? It's something that brings about this new state of affairs. It's a fundamentally sort of creative approach to language. You can there, There's tons and tons of examples out there. When you say something like, I promise that I will be there tomorrow, for instance, right? You're creating a new state of affairs. You're, you're creating this idea of a promise, and now you're creating this future expectation of you being there.
2: I mean, I I promise to always love you, and I will, Eric. You know, that's a promise that you know I'll keep faith with.
0: There you go. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, Austin excludes all non-serious statements from his theory, which is something Derrida's going to hit him for pretty hard. But if you were sincere about your promise to love me and take care of me and even beyond uh, the
2: grave baby in, even in beyond sickness and
0: in health and sobriety or extreme drunkenness if you made that promise then that you know that creates this new world that we all live in with something new so i don't want to skip all of this yet but i just want to bring us
1: back i want to skip to the end and then come back to exactly this point but for butler the main performative utterance is when you come into this world screaming, covered in placenta and blood and maybe shit, and the doctor pulls you out and says, it's a boy or it's a girl. That's the main performative utterance that's going to define the rules and codes and associations of your gender from now on. So that's not just an observation of an empirical fact but no uh, that's a performative utterance that you have to you have to live with so gender i mean I, you hear people say like gender's not real as a solution to the whole gender thing but gender is very real and that's kind of the the issue that's being taken there is that it's part of this coded world that starts the minute that you're born